Hey everyone, I have a question for you. What is the last thing that goes through a bug's mind when it hits your windshield? It's butt. Ah, and I know what you're thinking right now, Stephen. This is the quality dad joke type entertainment that we come to Major Spoilers and Critical Hit for week after week, year after year for 15 plus years now. And uh, I, I just love that you guys are sending out these shows each and every week to us. But I haven't supported you yet. And I want to, but I'm still kind of on the fence about it. What do you got for me? Well, dear listener, how about this? When you become a patron at the $5 a month level, you get uh, an episode of Critical Hit a week ahead of all of the non-patron people. So imagine this. You, being a patron, know what uh, next week's episode is all about, or you've listened to the episode before your non-patron friends, and you're sitting around listening to it, and you can scratch your tin and go, Hmm, this sounds like a perfect time for a gaggle of gremlins to come and attack the party. And then all of a sudden, a gaggle of gremlins comes and attacks the party and you can sit back and go, yeah, I saw it coming. And your friends will be amazed. Their minds will be blown. That's just one of the things that you get at the $5 level. You also get character sheets. So if you want to figure out why uh, uh, Quentin works the way he does, you can get access to the Quentin character sheet right now or any of the other character sheets from all of the other shows that we have done on critical hit so you get uh, character sheets what about uh some other things well how about the gm roundtable if you are someone who's always marveled at the way that kevin and samantha and brian and rodrigo have spun their incredible tales that we have been listening to and enjoying on critical hit for these last 10 years and you want to Glean some information from them and apply it to your gaming table so you can be a better GM. We also have the GM Roundtable. It is an exclusive show for our patrons, and you can only listen to it when you become a patron at patreon.com slash major spoilers. I know you don't want to buy something sight unseen, so stick around after this week's episode because... I'll, I'll give you a free episode of the GM Roundtable to check out so you can see what you get every month over at patreon.com slash major spoilers. And then depending on, again, if you want to go $10 a month, $25 a month, $40 a month, heck, we even have a $15,000 a month tier if you are so inclined to get up to that level, level where we will fly to you, you know, pandemic permitting, we will fly to you and we will record a show live with you in the house. How does that sound? You can find out more at patreon.com slash major spoilers. But I know you're still like, ah, I know all of these great things. I need a little something more. Okay, here you go. There's only a couple of weeks left, but from now until the end of April, when you sign up uh, for a yearly membership, something we've just introduced, when you sign up for our yearly membership, you will get 12 months of content, but you're only going to have to pay for 10. That's right. It's 10 months of con uh, content that you pay for. We give you two months free. It's a 16% discount. Go sign up. For the yearly membership at patreon.com slash major spoilers, stick around after this week's show for more content that's exclusive to our patrons so you can get a little taste of what's to come. And in the meantime, here's this week's episode of Critical Hit. Enjoy. Patreon.com slash major spoilers. Welcome to Critical Hit, a major spoilers podcast. Thank you so much for downloading and checking us out this week. I told you last time that Kevin was going to have... On Critical Hit? Yes, on Critical Hit. <laughs> that uh, Kevin was going to have a surprise for us. Kevin, what is going on? 
Well, so this time, uh, critical hit. Oh, (laughs) uh, you guys uh, have a bit of uh, catch-up work to do. Um, You'll be uh, introed to it uh, in in a moment in character, so you'll you'll find out soon. Um, But let's just say it's going to be a familiar format uh, for some of the major spoilers listeners. All right, sounds good. So where we had left off. Was... Oh, go ahead. No, you, you, you're ruining it. You gotta. Di- there's only the thing. The thing. <laughs> Way to go, Matthew. <laughs> Shut. Up. Um. No. Uh. So. Uh. Anyway. Yeah. Where we had left off last time. On critical hit. Critical hit. See that was. Was uh that you're on the ship. The squeaky clean. It's in orbit. You're fairly certain it was broken into, but you didn't find any evidence of of that breaking ex- except for um, the uh, the remains of the person who couldn't be dissolved. Um, so, after doing some diagnostics and shooting Squeebo for some reason, uh, you guys are now in orbit, and I believe you were going to make contact with. Uh, your benefactor, Rain. Correct. Opening hailing frequencies. Beep, boop, boop. Yep. You can reach her, uh, and she answers. Huh. You well. You guys got anything? Uh yes. All right. We have a. Uh, disturbing piece of video along with you know possibly some extra data uh from team elysium she double checks it's like at least you're using an encrypted channel fine uh we should be good to talk at least for a little bit so uh so what'd you find uh well they were definitely sabotaged um and uh, we don't know on we don't know why or on whose order, but they were sabotaged by one of their own. Shapeshifter. Hmm. Zem. An Astrozoan. Witch Warper. Did uh, she get away? Yes. Uh, and made sure was, no one else did. Yeah. Uh, after securing that everybody, um, after making sure that nobody else could get away, uh, she got away. But her corpse was recovered. Yeah, she, yes. she made a clone. Mm. All right. Well, that's something I can, uh, I can start hunting her down at least. She's got a head start, but witch warpers leave a trail of unlikely events that's easy to follow. So I can see what I'll find. Good work. How many teams have you hired? What do you mean? Well, they were working for you. And it got them killed. Ah, yeah. 
wondered when you'd find out about that. Knew it was a risk, but Team Elysium was a lot like you in some ways, different in others. But uh, they gave up on the mission, started focusing only on winning. Wasn't sure they were ever going to report to me again. When I saw what happened, I knew I was responsible, but only made me more sure that I was doing the right thing on the right course. So I got another team together and that's you. Well, someone broke onto our ship. Hmm. You'll have that. Do we have any idea who it is that's doing this? I mean, I know that that's literally what we're trying to figure out, but have did these guys get any other leads for you? Well, did you get the uh, computer? That might have had something. We did. Well, we, we got about as we got as much as we could out of it. All right. Well, I'll keep digging, but I think that this means that there's someone on the inside at Extreme Productions. I'll, yeah. uh, unfortunately, I don't have more details right now, but, you know, just to, to kind of head this off. You guys might be mad at me for not telling you. Hello, yeah. Well, I get it. Oh. All right. Good. Um any other business with the video and the um computer core? Well, we should meet up and, uh, you know, if you guys can't figure out what's going on in the computer core, maybe I can have someone take a look, but, um, we'll meet in person. I've actually got the coordinates for the next leg of drifters, the space portion. Uh, so okay. if you want to meet me, I can send you, uh, I'm out past the, uh, outer rim past Octurn. Uh, and due to you lot winning last time, we should be able to scope out some of the course before the race begins. Nice. In the meantime, on, on this, you know, there's a recording that proves, what, a cover-up and a betrayal, but not much else. So we're going to have to keep digging. Yeah. Uh, between now and then, though, I've got some work for you to do promo work for the studio should be in your inboxes. Now we're setting up a spear stream on the spasm channel. I managed to oh, lock nice. down. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I locked down uh Calicerate, a mega stand for uh, formally for team. We love spiders. Uh, so if they like what they see, uh, they'll get a lot of eyes on it. And uh, that's good. If we can get some some mega fans, uh, that's going to be good for your brand. You might be able to get better 
promotions from our sponsors, boosts in the race, things like that. Okay. That would so, be great. I hear that, uh, you know, that if you get real good, that eventually, like, the weapons makers start sending you free swag just so you showed off. I would love that. This is how you do it. Uh, so, I'll remind you that you said you loved it later when you're older. Uh, but this is easy. It's uh, You're just going to read the questions that Calicerate uh, submitted uh, from all the questions you guys have been getting on the Infosphere. And just take turns. Go around the table. Let the reader answer. And then anyone can chime in. And uh, Quentin will record, but we'll need some sort of other camera to catch him, too. Okay. Uh, any questions? Mm, nope. I don't think so. All right. Well, then I'll see you in the outer rim. Good work. See ya. And she signs off. Okay. I'll pull up the uh, the sheet. All right. So, uh, Quentin, you're able to set up a, a pretty decent little recording system. You've already got the holographic room that's, you know, perfect for something like this. Um, and yet you, yeah, you've all received these uh, Infosphere notifications with a list of questions um, for uh, Team Lizardbrain that's been compiled by uh, Calicerate. Calicerate is spelled chalicer, like the word. Uh, Calicerae, like uh, in a spider with the number eight at the end. Um, And uh, then um, it looks like they got access to, you know, there's some sort of online community community dedicated. Well, there's tons of them dedicated to drifters, but you guys now have your little corner of that world too. uh, After um, the introduction of team lizard brain. And those of you really familiar with drifters fandom, um, you know that basically people are uh, the the really really big fans are always looking to get in on the ground floor of like the next big team because mm-hmm. then they get to be the true mega fans that have had like everything from day one. Then but, they get to gatekeep other people out. Yeah, I was watching them before they were cool. <laughs> you history. probably never heard of them. <laughs> and uh. Ads, but no one knows who that's going to be. So, and obviously, every team is trying to pitch themselves as the next big thing. Okay. Uh, so, um, after Quentin gets uh, situated with the lighting, and you know, you guys can be, you, you can choose how you're how you're seated and and presenting, but. Um, uh, after that, I think you guys can start uh, reading off the questions that have been submitted to Team Lizard Brain. Okay. So we all sit down, and uh, I got the first one, right? Looks like it. Okay. Yes, you do. Quentin, you roll in. And Mark. 
Wiggity, what's up, guys? Hecubino coming at ya. Team Lizard Brain, always looking out for my Nero Newts. I don't know. We'll come up with a better name. Anyway, um, we've got a special dish for you. And the dish is that we're going to dish. Uh, you guys sent us questions, and we've got answers for you. Let's check it out, what our fans are asking. Uh, question one. Why should I root for Team Lizard Brain specifically? Because the last thing you want to do is root for us generally. <laughs> <laughs> and here's Vangi coming at you. Uh, so uh, what chores do you do on the ship? Who doesn't pull their weight? Dish! Uh, well, so I like to... Uh, well... I obviously lift anything that's too heavy for the rest of the guys. Uh, you know, so like picking up things so that Squeebo can clean under them. Uh, you know, moving crates if we're getting new gear. Uh, see, because I can pull my weight. <laughs> and speaking of, Quentin doesn't pull his because he's just a little floating sphere. And he makes this whole thing about like, oh, I've got to shoot you looking good and showing off those muscles, which is fair. I mean, that's fair. But um and, uh, yeah, and then, uh, oh, I also, uh, I've been meaning to try to get you guys to sign up for this, but anyone who wants to wake up at, uh, 6 a.m. and do some exercises around the ship, we could, you know, get, uh, start the day, getting, uh, you know, energized, get some muscle on the rest of you, and then maybe then I won't have to lift as much heavy stuff. They're but, you know, obviously, to totally optional. There's a cutaway to Bob just kind of looking at her like, this one's a little weird. <laughs> uh, Amu, I think you're next. What's it like living with your drifters team? Does anyone particularly annoy you? We love our friends. Although Quentin did try and shoot one of our friends earlier. But we've forgiven him for that. We love our friends. Uh, so, Quentin, it is your turn. Certainly. Question four. Who is your celebrity crush? My celebrity crush is the Class M3 Model B9 General Utility Non-Theorizing Environmental Control Robot Model 1965. It's all about the dome. Hot. Don't forget to like and subscribe. And now over to you, Skritic. Uh, okay, uh, I have this question here. Uh, what scandals have you covered up? What would be the point of me saying uh, all those <laughs> murders just to waste? No, I, I, I'm not answering that one. Next. Oh, uh, I guess that's me. Uh, hi, I'm Bob. Um, what are you going to do if you win Drifters? Well, you know, as an android, uh, many of our kind are built and then immediately put into service to pay back the cost that it took to build us from the ground up. And that costs a lot of money. For some people, it takes a long time to uh, earn back that money. Uh, but thanks to Drifters, I have an opportunity to make a big payoff and be ever closer to be able to go out on my own and do what I want. I'll tell you what I'll do when we win Drifters is we're going to get back. We're going to get back in shape during the offseason and we're going to win Drifters again. Vangie. Oh, yeah. Definitely true. 
Uh, so, what are the official rules for Team Lizardbrain? Is there a hierarchy? How are the credits split? Well, uh, Hecubino and I are team co-captains, so we're at the, the top of the billing, being the, uh, the lizard and the brain, obviously. Um, and then below that, you know, honestly, we're still kind of figuring that out. I mean, obviously, Quentin is our producer, camera person, um, so kind of like an attache to, uh, our... You know, between us and the viewers and the show, um, but he's he's part of the team too. And, and as as the the rest there, you know, I feel like we're all they're all trying to jockey for who's like team second in co-captaining. Uh, yeah, we'll we'll I think they all put up a really good strong showing in the uh, the first show. Um, we'll see in the next big race who who pulls ahead. Uh, but if you guys have any opinions on who your favorite members of Team Lizardbrain are, uh, please tell us in the comments section. We won't be offended, except for that we will, very much so, and we will talk about it extensively, and it will make us very sad if you don't like us. But, uh, but whatever, whatever you choose is, is, is fine. Uh, so, yeah, uh, Abu! We are the medic. Oh, it's our turn. Have you thought about making an alter ego for yourself? But we have multiple egos. Like how Roselle from Team Venture Bandits called herself Tiger Empress when she released her solo album. What's a solo album, Vangi? It's a, a music thing, like when you're part of a band and then you go solo. So, but you want to, uh, so like, you know, she wanted to be like, have her own identity separate from her team to show that she was like a real pop star. So. Uh, this might not have been the best question for you to answer. We love our friends. Ooh, ooh. I, I would, I would call myself Dark Bandit of the Skies. Mm. What, that is. What, what, why is that? What, would you have a sweet costume? Yes, and people will find out what happens once I finally pay off all my debts. That sounds ominous. If, I like it. If I were to create an alter ego, I believe as a fan of the classical literature of Shakespeare and the state, I believe I would call myself very Sagittarius. Oh, yeah. I do not get that reference. That's all right. No one does. The next question is for me. Describe yourself in three words. Don't say silly things like species or profession. We want to get to know the real you. The real me is a processing packet some quintillion trilobytes. However, if I were to describe myself in three words, they would be spherical, casual, hero. Skritic? All right, uh, next question. If you could go back in time and change one thing about your life, what would it be? Ah, well, I guess uh, any uh, youngsters out there listening, if uh, you're trying to get off planet or off station and don't have a lot of credits to do so, and uh, looking or happen to catch an unchartered flight, uh, you might want to make sure to let your presence be known before you leave civilized space. Because uh, if the crew is nice enough to drop you off on some rotten planet, at least try to get one that actually has settlements. That's all I'm going to say on that. That is extremely specific. Mysterious. 
Oh, oh, it's me again. Uh, what's your favorite job on the ship, and why? Well, my favorite job, of course, is piloting. That's what I was born to do. It's what I love to do. I love to pilot big ships, little ships, air cars, air taxis, ground cars, ground taxis. I like to just drive and pilot and maneuver my way around to make sure that my passengers get there first ahead of the competition. By the way, speaking of our competition, boo, they're bad. What's your favorite job, Quentin? I have many jobs that I enjoy. I believe my favorite job would be cleaning the dishes. Ooh, good answer. Skritic, what is your favorite job on the ship and why? Uh, I guess uh, guttery. Yeah. Because I get to shoot the guns. But not on the ship. We have a new rule about that after that Quentin incident. <laughs> well, not at crew members, at least. Yes, I agree. Hey, boss, Team Co-Captain Hecubino, what is your favorite job on the ship? My favorite job on the ship is, of course, supervisor. Um, I like to make sure that all of the cogs are moving along properly. Um, and I get to stand like this. And Hecubino will like put his leg up on like a chair or something. Nice. Hey, Team Co-Captain Hecubino. Yes. Oh, I'm sorry. You have the next question. That's, that's what I was supposed to do. Read that and say that to you. Oh, yes, I did. Here. <clears throat> uh, would you be willing to date a super fan of Team Lizard Brain? Well, I don't know. I think maybe if we actually hit a critical mass of the rowdiest, wackiest, loudest fans out there in the infosphere i might consider actually uh pitching a reality show in which you show up and i decide which one of you to date yep that is an <laughs> awesome idea awesome yep i would watch that we'll call it the brain chalor that's yeah. so workshopping that dang uh, so what scares you about drifters the most? Uh, I mean, it's really two things. One is that we'll be blown out of the sky in the middle of the race, but I'll still somehow be alive and be just tumbling out into the void of space, trying to desperately to scream while my blood boils and my eyes shrink into shrivel and then I freeze to death and no one can even hear me. Uh, but the second one is just really disappointing the fans. I just want you all to like, Root for me and to do my absolute best and for you to feel really good about your support of Team Lizard Brain. So, you know, horrible death and disappointment. You know, if you actually get ejected out of the airlock for just a millisecond, people will be able to hear you scream. Huh. I don't know if that makes it better or worse, but thank you for letting me know. Bob gives her a thumbs up. I think the scariest thing is press junkets. Anu? Uh, 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 the, the thing you said is pretty scary. Indeed. I'm also very frightened of Squeebo. Squeebo is our friend. We would be scared of losing all of our friends. 
That's yeah. right. And it's that team environment that we try to foster here. All for one and one for all, except, of course, for Vangie and me who are in charge. Yeah. Uh, Quentin, you got another one? I do. In order to read this question appropriately, I will need to engage colloquial mode. Colloquial mode engaged. So I had this weird dream with you in it, and we were on the squeaky clean being chased by a glowing squid that devoured asteroids, and Squeebo was the butler, but we'd forgotten to set the dates to our engagement, and the infrastructure promoters were upset because the over-budget and the squid was yelling at us about our color scheme while the ship was being torn apart. So that got me thinking, my question is this, what's the best way that someone you don't know could propose to you? Please be detailed. Disengaging colloquial mode. Decision trees are an excellent tool for helping you to choose between several courses of action. I recommend drawing a small square on a piece of paper, then drawing lines towards the right for each possible solution, writing the solution along the line. Keep the lines as far apart as possible so that you can expand your thoughts as you go. At the end of each line, you'll consider your results. If the result of taking that particular decision is uncertain, draw a small circle. If the result is a decision you need to make, then draw a square. Squares represent decisions. Circles represent uncertain outcomes. Each new decision will indicate a square on your diagram. Then draw outlines representing the options you could select from that particular level. From the circles, draw lines representing possible outcomes. Again, making a brief note on the line saying what that note means. Keep on doing this until you've drawn out as many of the possible outcomes and decisions as you can and leading on from your original decision. I could show you an example at this point, but again, visuals are very difficult. Once you've done this, you can review your tree diagram. You should have a good understanding of the range of possible outcomes of your decisions and the possibility of a possible response from me. Scritic. Huh. Uh, okay, uh, next question. If you had a secret clone, how would you divide up your life between you? Oh, if there was two of me? Oh, I think we'd both uh, be uh, hard at work uh, being secret and just uh, getting anything we could ever want on the down low. You know what I mean? Uh, I guess we'd have to split up our times on uh, sleep watches, uh, alternating who's uh, point man and who's recon. Uh, but yeah, that. I think we would uh, be the uh, most dangerous and deadly uh, team of infiltrators there was. How do you know you're just not looking in a mirror? Mirrors generally aren't solid. Are they not? Mirrors are generally solid. Well, your mirrors don't, you know, usually act independently or walk out of the mirror. I mean, that is accurate. Hmm. Or try to, like, stab you in your sleep because there's a fight over who's the real one, who's the clone. Oh, now it's getting interesting. I do like that. Uh, That's why you agreed to split everything 50-50. Yeah, but yeah, at some but, point, somebody's going to want to be the boss. Right? Yeah, because eventually someone will be like, mm, but if I, once I start thinking about maybe breaking the deal, that means that my clone has already started thinking about maybe breaking the deal. And what if they've already taken two steps beyond and now they're plotting to kill me in my sleep? And what if you kill your clone? Is that suicide? No, that would be murder. Huh. If only there was some kind of decision tree to help us figure out how to deal with our own clone. Certainly. Mm -hmm. One can start we by feed them to Hermans. 
Also, this is a difficult question for me in that the Labor Force 553 model that I represent has approximately 600,000 representatives throughout the known galaxy. Oh, yeah. Don't get me started on my making model either. I feel like this conversation is just pointing out why there's no one that you can trust but yourself and why uh, your own clone would be your best uh, compatriot. Agreed. Hmm. Oh, that's harsh. You can trust your family, whether they're cloned or not. Mm, Not as much as I'd trust me. I trust you, Skritik. That's good. You keep doing that. (laughs) 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 Let's let's move on. Great. Here's a really fascinating one. What what channel are we on again? Five nine seven. Okay. You know, there's more than 597 channels on the Infosphere, and those are filled with lots of programming. None of them as good as Drifters, but lots of really good programming. Besides Drifters, what other Infosphere shows do you watch? Well, when I was back at home driving the taxi cab, uh, my friend Bryn and I would spend every lunchtime at the uh, local eatery, and we would love listening and watching to Flub Shrimkaw. He was hysterical in all of his crazy conspiracies that he would throw out left and right, willy-nilly, trying to get people riled up. Oh, we laughed so hard. That is my favorite show. Anyone else? My total linear computation speed of 60 trillion operations per second allows for 800 quadrillion bits, or roughly 909 terabits of storage data. Therefore, I watch all of them. Do you have Uh, a favorite? I'm not... Yeah, do you have a favorite? The one that we are currently on. Good answer. Oh. Go Team Lizard Brain. Uh, so I'm a big fan of Will It Disintegrate? It's a pair of mystics, and they just find things and try to disintegrate them. And uh, spoiler alert, it can almost always be disintegrated. But it is <laughs> awesome! <laughs> yeah, that's kind of like uh, that other show, uh, Mithril Busters. Uh, but that's mostly <laughs> that's mostly just a couple of orcs trying to hit a uh, mithril chain shirt prog- with progressively heavier uh, ordnance, and it holds up pretty good. There's like eight episodes so far. Yeah, also awesome. <laughs> oh heck, you know, right. I think you have Looks the like last we're question. winding down. Uh, let's see. What advice do you have for an aspiring drifter? Hmm. Well, let me get real with you guys for a second. We have put together a really amazing team out of a bunch of weirdos. We won our first race because we have very diverse talents. You have to figure out what you're good at and figure out how that could apply to a drifter's team, right? Instead of being like, oh, I need to get better at shooting or I need to get better at driving. You know, if you're just starting that out and you're not very good to begin with, chances are somebody who is very good at driving already, who has a natural aptitude or say has been programmed to do it, um, is probably going to beat you out. So figure out what you're good at, figure out what you bring to the to the table, and then focus on that. Uh, Bangy. 
Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd second that. You also have to understand that your you know, your skills aren't going to come up in every situation. Like, even if you're, you know, really, really good at fighting, which I obviously am, I'm not that great with things like uh, talking to people. And that's why me and Hecubina are such good partners. So, like, find someone who's, whose skills complement you and that you can trust. Find, you know, when the, the best uh, drifters teams are ones that, like, they always have each other's backs. They almost like can read each other's minds in terms of what they're going to do next. Uh, Cause that can be that kind of communication is really important when things get hot and chaotic and you got to be able to adapt to situations as they go. Uh, Skritic. I'd say getting with the right crew is the ultimate key. Uh, you got to make sure you have the proper uh, patsies and meat shields in order to really survive in this game. Uh, Bob. Here's the thing. This is my first season of Drifters. I hope it's not the last. I hope we're here for a long, 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 long time. But here's what I've learned so far. You might be asked, because of your fame and your celebrity, to do some errands and do some tasks for other people. Get the money up front. Get that money up front. Also, don't party too hard when you win. But get the money up front. Quentin? I would believe that the best advice comes in three parts. First, a narrow focus brings the best result. Second, nobody ever lends money to a man with a sense of humor. And third, always never forget to check your references. Amu? We are confused by that one. But make sure you are good at making friends. We have made very wonderful friends, and we are winning, right? Good friends, good winnings. All right. Well, you heard it from all of your friends here. Now, how about you show us some friendship and you like the stream, you show it to your friends, you show it to your mama or whatever, uh, you know, I look over at Amu, whatever uh, you bought it off of. Um, but yes, let everybody know. Uh, they can catch drifters at the time that you see below. Print and pretty shot down later in post. Um, and uh, this is uh, for Vangy, Bob, Skritic, Amu, Quentin, Herman, Squeebo. And Grace. I hope I didn't miss anybody. Bangies and Bangie's gun. Uh, we are Team Lizard Brain. Don't forget to watch us. Keep watching Chalizer 8 the Ocho. And keep it here. Nice. And so there's a, a reaction stream because you know some of this was going live. Um, and uh you're you're getting all sorts of comments and uh yeah, Chalicer 8 is uh is you know, moderating and seem everybody seems super excited. Um, but you're, you're off air, um, now. And, uh, right as, um, uh, that, you know, you're, you're, you're coming down off the high of, of, you know, being, uh, on camera on a social, uh, setting, uh, for a bunch of potential fans. Um, that is when boom, all the lights go out. 
Um, and on the big hollow projector in the room you're in, uh, it flickers um, for a moment. And then a, a, a message uh, starts playing. And the video feed cuts to a giant brain person, a contemplative. In fact, not just any contemplative, but Talos. And uh, it seems pre-recorded. Ah, <laughs> you fools! It is I, Talos. I know you have been bathing in the pungent slime of regret for failing to acknowledge that I am the superior psychic. But your miserable immersion in mental magic mediocrity is at an end. After my fiendish trap crushes you beneath the weight of my mighty intellectus, you will be trapped in the cold vacuum of space to consider your misdeeds, while I lead Team Brainpower to victory in this season of Drifters. You will be shown the mercy of the unforgiving void as I... Oh, for pituitary sake, Talos, are you using the cerebral probe on planetary sayings again? You know that's dangerous and not very nice. You have to consider folks' privacy. That's it. I'm cutting you off. Paying, paying those nice homeless friends of yours in full. This is my house, mister. Mother, I'm recording a message. Now is not a good time. Don't come in. I am obligated to now play you the following message. And Talos uh, goes off the screen. And uh, there's a pair of people um, in what look like, uh, you know, military special ops uh, outfits. Uh, and one of them says, one's a, one's a human, one's a, a Lashunta. The Lashunta woman says, you've been sabotaged. I'm Alessandra Sabine. Guy says, and I'm Clay Taggart. Together, we made Sabotag, the first professional sabotage for hire team exclusively dedicated to maintaining that frenemy relationship. How many times have you blown up a recurring person of interest due to being overly aggressive in your booby traps? Surely they would find it first and have to make interesting decisions and attempt remarkable feats to escape your plans. But no, they disappoint and boom, just like that, all that time and effort is wasted. We at Sabotag have done the research and we found that within our target demographic of Infosphere influencers and those engaged in life or death struggles on a regular basis for views, likes, or subscribers, that having an ongoing rivalry increases engagement and share of voice within your networks for both parties. It's a win-win so long as you're constantly undercutting each other. But who has the time, not to mention expertise, to execute finely tuned misadventure to befall your rival? It's too easy. You look like a chump. Too hard. Kablooey. There they go again. That's where we come in. With our combined 30 years of expertise in industrial espionage, freelance military black ops, and eco-terrorism, we have you handled. Our connections led us to operations anywhere in the PAC world system and beyond. Plus, our unique one-party consent subscription offers the budget conscious a way to stick it to them and maybe stick them with the bill. That's right, you only have to pay half up front, and the other half is paid by the targets, <coughs> excuse me, recipients of this service. Of course, when they pay, we'll be coming back for you, thus ensuring a constant cycle of bickering, banter, bungling, and botching that will leave you all endearingly frustrated 
while your social network traffic goes off the charts. Sabotag, you're it. And then the ship is completely powerless and adrift in space. Oh, man. (laughs) You are the devil. (laughs) That sounds like a perfect time to end this episode. I know it's a little short, but man, you got a mailbag. You got some hijinks. You got uh, that that brain in a jar guy. Man. That's some good advice. (laughs) Yeah. What an episode. Oh, man. Kevin, thank you so much. For uh, for for pulling out a mailbag, which we hadn't done a mailbag in like years, years. and now nice. we can go in a few more years without a mailbag or not. Hey, everybody! You know we have a Discord server, and in our Discord server, you can come and hang out with us. You can come out and hang out with feather, fellow uh, critical uh, hitters, some critters, and you can go and and talk with us. Uh, you can share your thoughts, reactions to everything that we do. There's a link in the show notes to our Discord server. Go over there. Say hi. Tons of cat gifts. Tons of people talking about RPGs. Tons of other cool things that you need to go and check out for yourself right now at the Major Spoilers Discord. We'll be back next time. And until then, here's hoping all of your dice rolls are critical hits. This podcast is copyright 2021 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC. Welcome to the GM Roundtable, your monthly roundtable discussion show where we help you become a better game master at the table for your own growth and more importantly, so your players have fun. Now, we do have this happen every once in a while. You have your regularly planned session has gone completely to pot and you need to pull something out of your pocket to entertain those players that can make it to the night's session. But what do you do? Fear not, as our panel of experts, and not-so-experts, are here to talk you through the creation of an encounter. But wait! We've made this month's GM Roundtable a little bit harder. As, as your host, I've created a hook for the panelists, and they've had just over a week to come up with a solution to creating the game with the hook. So here is the actual email uh, that I sent out to everyone a week or so ago. The hook is, a baby has been stolen and your party has been hired to rescue the baby. You need to set the encounter for level 5 if your game system of choice uses level systems. You will need to set the game session from beginning to end, justifying your reasonings, throwing in necessary obstacles and monsters that a listener could copy and paste into their next game session if needed. Again, this is a one-session, quote-unquote, dungeon crawl that can be used if you have to quickly come up with something when your regular game night goes to crap, something that you just have in your pocket ready to go. So, tonight we have uh, Rob is here. Hello, Rob. Hello. We have Brian. Hello. Rodrigo is here. Hey. And then lurking over there in the corner is Matthew. Nerf football. Nerf football, indeed. Okay, so first thing that I want to ask everyone is, what were your first impressions when you found out the hook? What was the what were your your first uh, thoughts on this? And Rodrigo, why don't we start with you? Um. I mean, it's. It, I, I thought it was good because it's a good active thing to go retrieve something. Is mm-hmm. like a, a pretty, a, a pretty good unit for a role playing game to revolve around. So, um, 
I was, I was, I, I, I figured this is something I can work with. Yeah. What did you have any major concerns? Like, oh, how am I going to do this? Make it interesting, or, or did you have some stuff already starting to bubble up the minute that you saw, saw that? Um, I did. I, I started having some thoughts, but then I ended up scrapping them almost immediately. Ah, okay. That that does happen a lot, right? Yeah. Brian, what about you? What were your first initial impressions? <laughs> uh, well, I think my first initial concern is like, what if the heroes lose the encounter? Mm, um, that's that, that's a good question, right? That could, yeah, kind of lead to a dark situation, uh, especially like uh, once we get into it, uh, the uh, system that I chose to stat out. I think there's a bit more leeway in that particular system for heroes to not necessarily win every encounter. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, you know, I put that into consideration when uh, basically coming up with my uh, plot. Okay, let's so, let's stick a pin in that because I want to come back around yeah. to what happens if a party failed this particular encounter and what people's reaction to that is. Rob, what were your initial thoughts on this? Uh, thought the hook itself was cool. Uh, was not ready for level five. What were you and thinking? Can... Something much higher or lower or what? Uh, I was thinking lower. Uh, Mostly since it's supposed to be made up on the fly. Yeah. Uh, then I was thinking something like level one, maybe level two for, because most game systems that you're going to level make, if you're, you're having to make characters out of nowhere, level five is going to require a lot of decisions. Mm-hmm. Level one or two is not going to require anywhere near as many and can be done quicker. Yeah. So but, my, I'll, I'll tell you, so my initial thought on this was to make it somewhere between, you know, like you see the, the little modules that you can buy, uh, mm-hmm. that are like, Oh, this is for characters between, uh, levels three and, and five or, you know, five and nine or whatever that may be. I thought about doing something like that, but I thought it might be a little bit easier to do something a little bit more concrete because unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on how you're building your encounter and what system you're using, you know, the creatures that you might throw in for a level five encounter might be too much or it might make it a very hard or difficult encounter if you're rolling with uh, level three players or level three characters. Those modules aren't for players level or characters levels three to five. It's you're going to be going from levels three through five throughout the module. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I just went ahead and stuck it at five and we'll see how everybody, buddy dealt, dealt with that. What are, what other things popped up in your initial read of that? Um, I was mostly trying to figure out what the, uh, setting was at that point. Okay. Uh, just figuring out, say baby is stolen. Why is the baby stolen? Who stole? Like, where, where's my plot going? Mm-hmm. Then I can figure out what characters are needed from there mm-hmm. matthew baby baby who's got the baby See, what were your original thoughts that was my first thought i agree with brian is it could go very dark uh-huh. and my my instinct at that first moment was we're definitely going to have to lean into some some black humor we're going to have to lean into maybe a little you know cohen brothers uh, in the tone that i'm looking for because you can't just do that and have there be, you know, no consequences. I feel like it could go badly very easily. Sure. So what are what are some consequences then that we could throw out that might not make it as dark? Uh, baby has been stolen or kidnapped. Uh, mm-hmm. There could be a ransom demand. So even if they mm-hmm. even if your party fails, then the the people that came to hire you 
may end up just paying the ransom and then your group may lose status in the in the community or guild or whatever thing that you set up that would be one way that you yep. could deal with failure what's another way you could deal with failure rodrigo um the i ba- suppose, the baby dies i guess i mean that's another thing sacrifice mm, to the dark lord orcus i, I oh. mean it, it depends why the baby was taken i mean you could you could very well write an adventure where once the party gets there they realize that actually the people who took them are the baby's parents and the mm-hmm. people who hired you right. were bad and now you have to deal with that right <laughs> that's so funny. stop giving away my ending that, that's what funny <laughs> no it's it's funny because uh for those of you who read rick and morty and are familiar with the rick and morty dungeons and dragons story that jim zub uh created uh that was like a year or two ago that was actually the hook where they went into the world mm-hmm. and uh, apparently a baby was stolen or something. And then they got to go and rescue the baby. And they're like, no, this is our baby. Those people that hired you were the actual villains. So that's, that's kind of funny that you brought that up, Rodrigo. Uh, Brian, what's, what is the solution that you came up with? Uh, and without spoiling your system or the encounter, uh, <laughs> how, how, how do you deal with a party failure? Ah, uh, well, uh, for the most part, uh, Basically, what my plan would be is, uh, you know, uh, the baby's gone, but it's not dead. That it provides further opportunity for future story elements. Ah, okay. And, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, the baby could be coming back through some timey-wimey shenanigans as a villain. Okay. That's interesting. Turns out to be a bad person later on. Uh, so there are some, there are definitely some alternatives. Uh, that you could go with uh, in this case. Uh, so I guess then the next thing is uh, what were initially, what were some of the challenges that you had, that you were thinking of as you were starting to build your encounter, Matthew? Challenges. Yeah. Like I mean, what, what were some things that were like, uh, oh, here's what I need to think about. Here's what I'm right. not sure about those kinds of things. Well, my first thought process was, you know, how, what, where, when, you know, Mm -hmm. when you get to Mm -hmm. a point where you're trying to conceptualize something, I had some very nebulous ideas and I still do have some very nebulous ideas. Uh, They're still very nebulous, but I feel like my big question was, how do I keep it within the scope? How do I make sure that this doesn't grow out of whatever time frame or whatever, you know, expectation that we have for a one night session or a one time session, or even a short session that may take more than one gameplay unit. How do we make sure that it has a, a an endpoint, a closing mark, so that you can go, okay, that's that. We could revisit this later, but we don't have to, and we can just say, you know, job well done, everybody. You know, enjoy a milk bone in a commie free world. Yeah, and of course, you know, if this is just a one shot, I guess the the idea of failure. Uh, is that, well, your party failed. And, uh, you know, if it is just that one shot and you're not revisiting this world or this group or or this party ever again, it's just a failure. Now, I know nobody likes to lose a game, but that is something that, that you might uh, might have to contend with. Right, Rodrigo, or no? Should your players always win? No, no, not necessarily. Um, you know, uh, you probably should have some contingencies to failure or just make it difficult for them to fail. You know, there are circumstances that your party can go, can endure without failing at the mission, right? So it's like, no matter what, they succeed on the mission, but maybe they accrue further penalties as they go if they keep 
you know, not coming out on top of encounters or situations. Okay. All right. So everyone's been kind of uh, dancing around the system that they were wanting to use that. Um, so let's just knock this out of the way. Uh, uh, Rob, what system did you decide that you wanted to go with? Uh, overall, mostly due to procrastination on my part, I ended up going with a fourth edition because it's the system that I'm most intimately familiar with at this point. Okay. All right. Uh, Brian, what about you? I went with uh, Sentinel Comics RPG. And, and why did you go with that? I, I know we've played that that game before. Uh, and, uh, and again, our listeners haven't haven't heard that game yet. Uh, but we played an early beta of that many years ago that, again, is just being pocketed until we're ready to release that. Uh, but, <laughs> but why did you go with Sentinel's RPG? Uh, for the most part, because I was already in the middle of reading the system. And uh, secondly, since it's not one that is yet out on the uh, wide market, then I knew that I wouldn't have to worry too much about stepping on anyone else's toes on their chosen system and I could do something unique. Okay. And Rodrigo? Uh, I went with Fate Accelerated. And and why Fate Accelerated? Uh, Fate Accelerated is very simple, and it uh, tends to favor narrative over mechanics. So it helped to keep the mechanics simple, right? Um, the The thing that's interesting about a Fate Accelerated game is not necessarily what a villain's stats are, because they're almost certainly going to be a plus four to this and a minus two to that. Um, it's basically the narrative you bring to that uh, bonus and, and penalty. Okay. Now, again, I like Fate. I think Fate is a fine system. But I have seen people comment uh, in our Twitter feed, in our Discord, and other places that they just really, really, really hate the Fate system. They love what we did with Modern City and the story and the characters we were building there. They just really, 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 really hate the Fate system. Uh, I mean, that, you're you're going to find that with almost any system. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it, there are there's stuff out there that some people really love and some people really hate. That's true of. Yeah, I mean, that's true of any system that I can think of. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I I think fate is fine. When you said fate accelerated, uh, what is it, last week or something, that that's what you were going to do? I was like, cool, mm-hmm. great. I love fate accelerated. Uh, yeah. It's probably, I think it is my favorite system uh, of all the systems that we've played and all of the systems that are piling up on my, my game shelf over there. So uh, just some things to keep in mind. Matthew, what was your initial thought for what system you wanted to use? Initially, my thought was Paranoia, but then I realized that uh, I haven't played Paranoia since the 90s, and the version with which I was most familiar apparently was uh, published in 1987, and the latest version of it that I could find is like 12 years old and doesn't seem to have any updates for it. Uh, so There's that's kind one of that thing. came out within the last couple of years. What's yeah, it there's called? a card-based one that's I haven't played it myself, but I want to get a hold of it. It's fun. Yeah, I have. I wasn't able to find it. The last one that I could find was the 25th anniversary edition, and I'm I'm like, okay, well. So how does I'm not familiar with Paranoia. Fill me in a little (laughs) bit on that one, Matthew. Uh, Paranoia, and the way we always played it was uh, pretty much wrong. But Paranoia (laughs) basically had the the black humor kind of baked in. So imagine uh, you live in a vaguely dystopian world. That's not the future, but also is the future. And it's, you know, it's very much going to be, uh, if you're familiar with the year 2020, it's going to be now. 
and you have uh, a lot of the humor built into it. And of course, you are usually given an assignment by you know a faceless AI or a faceless corporation or a faceless computer center that tells you this is what you need to do. This is how you're going to do it. And of course, everyone has abilities, but everyone also has some serious limitations. And you'll you'll get, for instance, many times you'll get uh, something that cannot work. Someone will give you uh, an order or give you a directive that simply isn't going to work, cannot, will not happen. And how the players respond to that and how they work around that is part of the game. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So okay. it's it's kind of like in the X-Files, if they were working with Rick Decker in Blade Runner, but also just wandering around, you know, in the year 2020. Okay. All right. So, uh, Rob, how about we start with you? And let's walk through the process of what you were creating uh, for this encounter where the hook is a baby has been stolen and your party's been hired to rescue that baby. So I'm going to set this in a uh, more Eberron type setting. Doesn't okay. necessarily have to be Eberron, but like the uh, noir backdrop of. Uh, the cities of Eberron works a little better for what I'm going with uh, as the party is going to be part of a detective slash security agency, depending on which bent your players are more geared towards mm-hmm. uh, who are being hired by the most affluent family in the city to track down their child because the baby has been taken and they don't want to, they don't want the rest of the city to know about this uh, on top of obviously needing to find their child. Uh, the So we're level five, we can do, if you're practiced with a 4th E character creation, you can do character creation relatively simply. Otherwise, I would just go with the uh, some of the core classes from the original PHB and call it good. And send out for starting with an investigation right away. Uh huh. Uh huh. So let uh-huh. me ask you. Let me stop you right there and ask. Um, you're letting your players create their characters, and because originally you were saying you were hoping that it was a lower level because it's very easy to create the character, etc. Mm-hmm. Are you thinking that as part of the of the setup as they come in and say, "Hey, everybody, roll up a character this level and go," or and, and why didn't you go with? prepared characters that i mean that's just a curious Uh, question not an accusation because of the prompt uh your regular plan session has gone to pot and you need to pull something out of your pocket to entertain those players that can make tonight's session yeah so depending on when things went to when things hit the fan uh i might not have time to create characters for everybody but if this is a regular session uh for this scenario if we're starting at level five these people have done at least played this a few times and so everybody should be able to hop onto character creation relatively quickly okay and uh i would be confident enough to help anybody who does struggle with character creation relatively quickly sure Uh, now and again i will say this as we've talked in previous sessions i'm a big fan of hero lab i know fantasy grounds has it i'm pretty sure that uh, roll 20 is starting to build it in with the character sheets uh with hero lab it actually walks you through 
what you need to do and what's missing in your character creation all the way from, you know, rolling your initial dice and assigning those to your to your traits uh, all the way to here's what you need to pick for this uh, character and everything. So I'm not saying that having your players come in and everybody roll up a character is, is a bad thing because there are tools out there that you can do that very quickly. I just wanted to find out why you had opted not to uh, do something um, pre-gen. Yeah. Mostly because the prompt suggested that pre-gen wasn't quite going to be what we were going with. Okay. Uh, otherwise, pre-genning characters would be fine. I'd suggest... I, I wouldn't pre-gen the characters myself. I would not have pre-gen the characters myself for this. I would have laid out a few suggestions uh, as the DM is going to know their players better and will know what type of characters to pre-gen for their different players. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas something that I come up with is not going to be suitable for most players because I'm me. Right. Uh, <laughs> and my brain works on an entirely different no, that's cool. I just Point. wanted to, I just wanted to ask that question. Uh, so our investigation is going to lead us to a bar. Uh, the initial encounter is going to be a skills challenge. That's what's going to get us to the bar. Uh, pass or fail, we're at the bar getting the information. Fail, it's a fight. Pass, we're actually going to find the information, find out that one of the other families is of the city. Uh, a rival family is who actually kidnapped the baby. Oh, those people. Exactly. Those people. Uh, so our next bit is trying to figure out, well, either recovering from the bar fight and possibly avoiding the authorities if necessary, uh, or figuring out and then figuring out how to get into the family's mansion Mansion? Yeah, mansion's the right word. Yeah. Uh, figuring out how to get into the family's mansion. Uh, we can use, we can go for some hard role play here if we can actually manage to bluff our way into the uh, place. Uh, but eventually I'm expecting to end up having to deal with some guards that are getting roughed up uh, or that are trying, that are, you know, because ex- heightened security is in there. They've heard other families are having problems, so they want to make sure that they're protecting their own. Uh, make sure that anything at their place isn't going to be uh, taken. Mm-hmm. And the rest of the night's going to be kind of a heist caper going back and forth between either having to deal with guards or actually managing to get the baby out without having to fight. Uh, but I figure another fight is going to end up happening eventually. Let's see. Do you have getting into there? No, go, go ahead. ahead. Go, go, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. I was just reorganizing my thoughts. Uh, go ahead and ask my question. I was wondering, do you have some, um, um, quote unquote monsters, uh, that you kind of plan for the, for each of these, uh, fights or for each of these, um, encounters that that the that the party is going to you know for lack of a better word encounter right uh so for the bar uh i'd be using soldiers uh the soldier type mm-hmm. not the uh not like specifically soldiers in the in the mm but soldier is one of the enemy archetypes okay right? okay soldier or whatever the beefier one is it's been a while since i've actually looked at an mm uh and have those guys be 
at the party's level or possibly a level lower. But the bar fight's supposed to be an easy thing. Like they're not supposed to have troubles with this. It's just supposed to, you know, if they uh, manage to fail the skills challenge of obtaining the information without getting into a fight, they're just supposed to have this easy mop up uh, where the only thing that could go wrong is a uh, crit in the wrong direction. Uh, then uh, we're going to be using a lot of this soldier archetype. Uh, as I imagine, most of the guards are going to be there, or most of the most of the guards at the mansion are going to also be these soldiers if we have to fight the guards. Uh, for the finale, uh, I'm going to probably use one of my favorite. Uh, rewards for a skills challenge as we're going through the uh, mansion. If we succeed at the skills challenge, the party gets to set up the map. Oh, nice. Okay. Uh, and, and tell us how that works and how, how you would do that. Uh, so, uh, as you get deeper into the mansion, you realize that the baby was stolen for not just uh, rivalry purposes, but uh, the family is... Uh, trying to tr- they're not trying to sacrifice the baby because they don't want to do that drastic but they're trying to use the baby for a ritual uh, and the DM can kind of gauge how their players would react to what level of are we taking this baby over to how they want to present the actual ritual sure, but essentially sure. the family's trying to get more power for themselves by letting this wizard use the uh baby for letting the evil wizard use the baby for his own nefarious purposes if you succeed at the challenge i'm just going to give a big open room of probably about a 15 by 15 square with an altar at the back okay uh, where the wizard and the baby are uh you can set up the room the players are going to set up the room as a religious temple or not necessarily really like like we need this to have some sort of uh, ritualistic significance, but it's up to you guys how to place pillars uh, or columns, that sort of thing. Uh, if they fail, then I get to do that and make it harder for them. Uh, then we're going to have the wizards going to be an artillery type, uh, probably something focused on uh, abilities that are going to be able to hammer down the any ranged characters that the uh, players decide to build. And we're going to have another half dozen soldiers of a level or two higher than what the uh, party is with the art, with the wizard being a elite of two, two or three levels, high, three levels higher. Okay. And then uh, they defeat the, they defeat the wizard. They managed to defeat the wizard have the baby and get to try and sneak out of the castle or sneak out of the mansion uh, or just kind of go run through the mansion guns blazing. Okay. Uh, depending on where we are for time. Okay. Uh, either a skills challenge or a, Hey, congrats. You did it. All right. Very cool. Uh, what did everybody think? Uh, first let's uh, Rodrigo thoughts on, on Rob's encounter. I like it. It's um, definitely a, uh, uh, definitely a builder's um, session. Like if you if you have mm-hmm. stuff handy, uh, it really gives you a lot of options to add and take away things. 
um, rather than necessarily tell you telling you exactly what has to happen at at any given point. Yeah, yeah, and and I think that's that's fine. Uh, I think though for someone that you know, let me whip this out of my pocket. Um, I I think that maybe something uh, you know, and this is something that certainly Rob, you can put this in your pocket and you can start to polish it and develop it and expand upon it, right? So that you can mm-hmm. then just drop in the monster stats and the wizard stats and the those other stats uh, fairly quickly. Uh, you know, in your spare time, so that when you do end up with that moment of, hey, it's it's game night and and nobody has a plan, you can say, well, I can DM a game. Here you go, everybody. Um, I, I think that makes it a little bit easier. Um, uh, people in the uh, Discord, what are your thoughts on on Rob's setup? Uh, I got to tell you, uh, his setup is not not uh, too far out of line. What I think a lot of people would create with this with this kind of a situation. I would agree. And I I do like the leaving open the character interpretation or some sort of character control for your players. Because even when you come into something that is a pre-generated adventure, it's nice to have at least a little bit of input to something. To have something that, even if you're playing for an evening, that you've had your thumbprint on. Something that you know that you can work with your style or have fun with in your play style. And I think that's something that uh, when we get to Rodrigo's, Rodrigo does point out in his um, in his session that hey, if you want to change things, go right ahead and do it. Yeah. So, uh, the, I, I guess the only thing I would um, tweak about Rob's is that I wouldn't hinge the any fights on succeeding or failing a skill challenge. I would say the fights still happen, and then just give them an option or or not to plan a, to have a fight there. If succeed or fail, um, I think that that last one where you do a skill challenge and it lets you determine aspects of the fight, uh, that could work. That works very well. Uh, say in the bar fight, they could, for example, gain more information after the fight because they succeeded at the skills challenge. Yeah. All right, uh, Brian, let's take a look at mm-hmm. uh, at your your session and what you have developed for our listeners. Yeah, uh, basically, uh, so as I mentioned earlier, I'm going with uh, Sentinel's uh, the Sentinel Comics role-playing game. Uh, it doesn't uh, utilize levels, so to speak. Uh, so generally, I just uh, developed this with in mind of doing uh, basically uh, five uh, PCs. And uh, general thought is that they would uh, be basically uh, attracted to this house that seemed to have been attacked by some uh, monstrous creatures. Uh, you know, they arrive on the scene, discover that a child has been, you know, a little baby child has been stolen, and uh, they have to try to get it back. Uh, this would uh, lead into an investigation scene where, you know, they'd have to try to make some overcome rolls to potentially uh, add some more twist to their turns, uh, either during this investigation or basically later during a villainous monologue, they'd probably find out that this child was basically born under some auspicious stars and uh, is destined to be some sort of great magical wizard. And it was uh, stolen by some nefarious magic types to try to take to their dark demon Lord. And uh, ultimately they uh, find a portal that this uh, dark wizard person is uh, trying to make an escape at which would uh, largely lead to the primary uh, encounter 
so uh, I basically did set this up as a pretty difficult encounter for a group of heroes, largely thinking that the central goal is not going to be to defeat all the uh, villains and minions and everything. Uh, so uh, basically, I the way I would plan it out is uh, the scene tracker would have two green spaces, three yellow, and three red, which uh, generally gives it the length of a standard scene, but uh, slightly more heavily rated into the red zone to kind of give it a little bit more of that uh, escalated feel. Uh, there would be uh, five challenge elements, uh, one villain, a uh, group of five minions of 10-sided uh, difficulty, and uh, I would uh, give them a plus one to hinder because uh, for the most part, they are just trying to get in the way of heroes, make it more difficult for them to just run in there, snatch the baby, and run back out. Uh, I would uh, throw in three D12 lieutenants who get uh, plus two defense to physical damage, but uh, can uh, heroes can work around that by doing any kind of energy or non-physical damage to them. Uh, just largely to, again, be kind of a roadblock in their way and to really be a tough challenge there. Uh, the villain uh, built using a disruptive approach and an inhibitor archetype, just to, again, be throwing out all kinds of hindrances and just really getting in the way, uh, making it harder for the heroes to roll the overcomes that they need. And uh, generally my plan would be uh, that they had to do a couple of uh, overcomes to reach the villain, uh, starting at two, but it could be more as he does his own other over- overcome actions to try to uh, gain a larger lead or less, depending on any of their sneaky tricks. Uh, probably an overcome action to grab the baby and equal overcomes to get back out of the portal. And uh, like I say, this is set it up as a fairly difficult challenge. Uh, so even though uh, predominantly they just need to make a certain number of overcome actions, depending on how many the villain gets in, uh, could be possible that they do lose. And uh, pretty much uh, I was thinking that the, the remainder of the session would largely be fallout from that, either uh, determining like what they have to do to go back to get the child if the villain does get away through this portal um again as i mentioned earlier maybe the uh child shows back as a dark lord later on to torment the heroes for their failure uh or uh if they do get the baby this could also lead into future adventures where they have to try to shore up for uh this minion or anyone else that's uh once this baited uh, magic child and uh, how to deal with that aspect so, okay, so Sentinels of the Multiverse, I'm going to guess that a lot of our listeners are not familiar with that system. It is relatively new, probably with only the last two years, um, or maybe it's three years now. God, well, time, I'm not sure when that started yeah, kit came out. But, time yeah. really does fly. But uh, <laughs> in the base system uh, that we have played previously, we get to play one of the heroes from the Sentinels of the Multiverse um, uh, card game system. There's also in the released version, uh, a character creation guide. Uh, So I'm going to go back to the characters again, like I did with Rob. Are you going to let them pick one of the heroes of the multiverse characters? Uh, Do I get to play Legacy? Do I get to play, uh, you know, uh, Aqualad? Do I get to play Ra? Um, Or are you going to let them come to the table with their own creation or are you going to create original characters for your players to play i probably wouldn't uh, create characters uh again uh, going if this is a one shot where plans fell through and i'm just uh 
getting something ramped up to go real quick. Uh, I mean, there's certainly uh, plenty of uh, pre-generated characters, uh, both in that core rulebook and the various uh, free previews that they put out. Uh, so, I mean, they, they can certainly choose any of the Freedom 5, or if they you know have their own characters, they can roll in with that. Uh, pretty much all the characters come in on an easy, uh, even keel. Uh, so, yeah, there's no issue in just uh, basically grabbing one and going and, you know, maybe throwing their own interpretation upon the set of stats and yeah, running I into for- the game from there. I forget. is Does Sentinels have a leveling system? No, it really doesn't. About the only thing that uh, it has even close to a level is, like, you can get trades as you go through adventures that you can spend to basically... Uh, as narrative currency to add elements to a scene or as like a one-shot boost to or uh, bump to a single roll mm-hmm. for each trade that your character has in their history. Okay. All right. Um, and so you, again, kind of like Rob, have a, a general outline. I think with mm-hmm. Sentinels of the Multiverse, because it is it is very much theater of the mind, although I suppose you could do yeah. a tactical system if you wanted with that. But because it is very much theater of the mind, there's not a lot of – it's up to the GM to do a lot of the descriptions of what these rooms yeah. are like and, and those kinds of things. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's. I kind of feel like with us having played the uh, starter kit and having actually read the rules, mm-hmm. even though they don't explicitly – uh, utilize zones within the system. I feel like it really kind of needs it, and I so many or or, or some other or some other way to to show distance locations. Sense. Yes, distance. Yeah, since yeah. like some characters are extremely or should be extremely mobile, and some shouldn't mm-hmm. be. Mm-hmm. Yes, I've found that to be a problem with a lot of systems that espouse theater of the mind. Is that while they're saying it's theater of the mind, they still put ranges on things that don't quite let pure theater of the mind work well that's that's the opposite issue right it's uh yeah it's like do you have like tight uh cones and and cubes cubes and stuff in theater of the mind it's like well then you're then you need a grid yeah 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 yeah. uh so i'm curious uh, for the people in the discord server uh how many of you have played sentinels of the multiverse rpg i know i saw one person get very excited when Brian said Sentinels, uh, is this sound like a, a fairly good syst- a fairly good game that you could just sit down and, and run, uh, given uh, Brian's um, overall uh, outline for you? Um, D. Harshman says, I think in Sentinels, ranges are things like nearby or they close are, to. But then there's always that question of like, what is nearby? Like, you know, there are certain okay. characters like Tachyon who can hit all nearby enemies. So you kind of have to have a pretty good idea of what but characters I, yeah. and yeah. creatures are where. I, but I yeah. think though character, that that can... This, mm. this character is explicitly not nearby. Right. Yeah. Uh, that person is far. You got to so, bring out your Grover. <laughs> far? Like I say, for pretty Near. much any... Uh, yeah. yeah. Games Have I plan on, I plan on utilizing like no cards and dice and actually having areas of like, okay, he's over here, like yeah. table space, there's actually going to be utilized. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, again, that's, that's one thing that I see with uh, theater of the mind type uh, games that I've either listened to or watched is that um, you do kind of 
kind of have to say, well, that person is just out of your range or, you know, that person is uh, close enough to you where you can reach out and grab them. So those are some things that I've seen people do in that situation. Sure. Uh, D. Harshman also says that Brian's encounters seem really, really clear. So I think, Brian, that this is something that uh, somebody could just jump, you know, take your outline flavor it with their own information, either create the characters themselves, use a pre-gen, uh, um, uh, Fantastic Four, or I'm sorry, the uh, Freedom Five, or <laughs> um, or uh, uh, create their own uh, pretty quickly. And I think character creation in Sentinels is pretty straightforward, right? Um, I would say not so much. Oh, really? It's actually okay. kind of a weirdly... Uh, I mean, it kind. Of, I, I feel like it is once you have experience... But yeah, uh, judging from judging from the complexity of any given character, I would be very surprised if it was a straightforward affair. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, yeah. it is like a weirdly like there's a, actually quite a few moving parts. And yeah, yeah definitely. You know, like having, like uh, when picking powers, like each power has to or picking abilities, I should say, like each of them having to use a separate power die and things like that. Just weird little gotchas you got to keep in mind. And then you can retcon to change that around. It's There's actually a, a bit of complexity to it. OK. All right. Um, good job, Brian. All right, let us now jump over to Rodrigo and Fate Accelerated. Now, I'm going to give everyone a heads up here. Uh, Rodrigo has created some rather large documents. I, w- <laughs> I will be sharing those with you when I post this episode on Patreon. So Rodrigo is being gracious enough to have a basically a prepackaged game for you all ready to go. Uh, I will share those documents with you when this show goes up on Patreon. So just kind of keep that kind of keep that in mind. All right, Rodrigo, please take us into your uh, your fate accelerated game. Okay, should I just go through it? I mean, go through it as much as you want, as as detailed as you want. I mean, you've got uh, so one of the things, and, and the reason why I was asking the previous two about uh, pre generated characters is because that is one of the things that you have done here, Rodrigo. Is you mm-hmm. have pre generated characters. That's that is correct, and the reason for that is because I wanted to tailor characters specifically to what was going to happen in the game. Um, as opposed to somebody showing up with, you know, their their character and none of their stunts really clicking onto anything, right? So this way, there are things that are going to be phasing in and out that uh, of relevance. But here we go. So uh, this one shot is called Operation Offspring. Uh, this is a one shot adventure for five players and a game master for Fate Acceleration Accelerated Edition. In it, the players take the role of a group of well dressed mercenaries known as the Taylor's Choice Club. Their goal is to rescue a baby from the clutches of a shadow cor- uh, shadowy corporation. When the game begins, the players will have already infiltrated the company's headquarters and will be preparing for a daring escape with the baby. Uh, info for players and GMs. Uh, The Taylor's Choice Club is a mercenary organization that provides agents for dangerous tasks. Some are full-time members. Others are contracted for individual operations. Regardless, the organization provides each operative with an excellent, comfortable, and very cool suit to wear on missions. These suits often have gadgets, enchantments, or other improvements to make missions easier. Uh, The mission at hand, known as Operation Offspring, involves uh, rescuing a baby that was kidnapped by a shadowy corporation known as B-10 Logical. Uh, the operatives choose the operatives chosen for this mission are as follows: Contractor One, formerly a witch of the Seven Hexagon Pentacle, Daga uses strange magics to provide some firepower in case things get difficult. Contractor Two, 
when the Kaiju Syndicate was finally sealed away by the Radio Rangers, most of them retired, but Shin Radio Ranger 6 has joined the Taylor's Choice Club, adding otherworldly powers to the club's ar- arsenal. Uh, full-timer 1. Yep. Uh, scientist, scholar, genius, dog. Dr. Doberman provides leadership and logistics to any assigned cell of the Taylor's Choice Club. Full-timer 2. Uh, a, ma- a machine originally created to track cattle, Tex-Tex, that's T-E-X-T-E-C-H-S, is <laughs> now a hard-shooting, hard-riding, very sentient mechanical buckaroo. Tex was stolen away from the company that originated their technology, but has chosen to stay with the club full-time. And probationary member, a strange mutant, Lizard Kid, was recruited by the Taylor's Choice Club for their infiltration skills. They are the newest recruit and still a little green. Oh. <laughs> As the game session starts, the Taylor's Choice Club members have infiltrated the headquarters of B10 Logical and have secured the baby. Now they make their way to the garage to secure a means of escape. So everybody will have this um, available to them to to pick a character. Uh, should I go through the characters? Um, I think you've kind of given a brief overview. Okay. How about you jump into, it looked like, and again, uh, you sent this to me this afternoon, and I was trying to set up a new computer so that when we have another member join Critical Hit, it will be, will be ready to go. It seemed like Lizard Kid was probably one of the more interesting characters that you had. Could you kind of go over his stats and his stunts and all those things? Sure. Uh, one second. I navigated away. Sorry. From that. No, no, that's okay. I mean, unless there's one that you thought was maybe more interesting, but uh, just as I was scanning I through, I was like, they are, they're I all your babies and you love great. them all. Yes. Uh, okay. So here's the stats for Lizard Kid. Um, so their sheet has everything that you just heard, um, plus, uh, so. Lizard Kid. A strange mutant, Lizard Kid was recruited by the Taylor's Choice Club for their infiltration skills. They are the newest recruit and still little green. Appearance, Lizard Kid is a mutant with human and lizard features. What looks like, what that looks like is a, exactly is up to you. Remember that Lizard Kid was given a fancy suit by the Taylor's Choice Club, so that needs to be described as well. Uh, aspects, high concept, teenage mutant. Uh, you are a young, genetically altered half-person, half-lizard. Trouble, unstable genetics. Every once in a while, new mutations manifest in your body. Uh, looks like you're not done changing. Myster- and uh, another, an additional aspect, mysterious origin. You are a virtual unknown in the world. This makes it hard to leverage reputation, but makes it easy to go undetected. Uh, approaches are careful plus one, clever plus two, flashy plus zero, forceful plus one, quick plus two, and sneaky plus three. Stunts are... Fly eater on the wall. You have a mm-hmm. great ability to move undetected due to your strange mutations, plus two to sneakily overcome an obstacle as long as the obstacle involves observation or is itself being observed, manned, or patrolled. Uh, and next one, this is new. Your genetics are unstable and new temporary mutations develop all the time, plus two to cleverly create an advantage on yourself, such as extra lizard eyes or reactive camouflage. Fast heal, you can immediately heal grievous injuries, but you can't do it indefinitely. Once per session, when you would tick your three stress box, uh, leave it unticked instead. And then a suit ability. Every character has a suit ability as one of their stunts. Uh, didactic weave. Your suit, given to you by the Taylor's Choice Club, is a training suit for new members. It helps with reactions and builds muscle memory. So after a combat or action scene, uh, create a personal aspect based on how you did. 
such as learned to not get in the way or took a lot of hard knocks. This aspect can be tagged as normal and last until the end of the session. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, all of the other characters have uh, similar uh, stunts and things like that and things that sort of click in and out of the situations. Okay. Now, something that I noticed that's different about your encounter or your session uh, encounter, I don't know what, what we want to call it, encounter, um, mm -hmm. one shot, is that you don't start with the group has come in and hired you, right? You kind of start... Nope. Halfway you've already been the... hired. You've already gotten the baby. Now you have to get out with the baby. Yep. And you've added a little twist to that as well. Uh, that's right. So um, uh, I have a little blurb about, you know, you're the game master. You get to do what you want. Uh, before the session, have the players read the info and have them figure out what they want to play and have them think of characters descriptions. Um some notes on specific gameplay, um, some notes on whether to add or remove aspects. Uh, but uh, when the session starts, so make sure our players know that they start with four fate points. When the session starts, ask them who is holding the baby. The baby is a very young child, a toddler or younger. The description of the child is up to you, gender, ethnicity, etc. The baby will start crying as soon as any loud noises or sudden movements happen. So basically the entirety of this game. Uh, In-game, the baby is represented by the following card. The baby. Aspects, crying loudly, don't jostle the baby. Approach modifiers, careful plus two, clever plus zero, flashy plus two, forceful minus two, quick minus two, sneaky minus two. So anytime a player is hit by an attack or tiles will defend ties while defending against an attack, they pass the baby to the player character who goes after them in initiative order. I think that's um, brilliant. I think that's really cool. Yeah, a character may pass the baby to another character who must agree to receive the baby by spending their action for the turn. Um, so, yeah, basically, the I, so uh, for example, if your character has careful plus three and forceful plus two when holding the baby, their stats become careful plus five and forceful plus zero. Um, so, uh, oh. yeah, so uh, the baby is helpful sometimes, a huge hindrance sometimes. You're also subject to the baby's aspects. So the game master, if you are trying to like do like an awesome kickflip or something, the game master can tag "Don't jostle the baby" and like reduce your pool or your bonus. Um, so you know all of that stuff applies. Uh, and yes, basically when you get hit, uh, it represents not just you taking a hit, but also losing the baby. And then whoever's next in initiative catches the baby. Um, and so hopefully, oh. I actually have a a, a, a bit here about making sure that um, you attack the person with the baby often so that the baby changes hands often. Um, <laughs> because, uh, that, because A, that's fun. B, the bad guys would be trying to get the baby. And C, um, it sucks if your aspects or if your approaches are particularly non-synergistic with the baby. It sucks to be stuck with the baby. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Interesting. Yeah, <laughs> I, I like that. I like that as a very good, yeah. different way to approach using the fate system to, uh, I guess, uh, to allow the GM to impose some penalties, I guess, or uh, uh, yep. some and, difficulties. And to, I shouldn't say penalties would, yeah, and, is a bad word. Difficulties is the good word. And uh, when you think of, um, yeah, so basically having the baby can be good or bad, passing the baby. Uh, can be good or bad, and you don't always. Actually, most of the time, you won't have control over it. 
Mm-hmm. Um, also, later on, you'll see that the way the the order in which players chose to describe themselves is also their initiative order. So oh, okay. they also you also don't get to pick what initiative order you go in um, because you don't know yet that that's how initiative is going to be okay. uh, done. So um, after you settle the uh, who has the baby we get into basically starting into description. Yeah. And again, um, uh, Rodrigo has done a remarkable job of doing all the stuff that the GM needs to read, giving you GM notes, everything that's in there. I will pre- be providing you all of these documents when this uh, file goes live on Patreon. So for those of you who are listening live, you're going to have to wait a little while. For those of you who are listening right now, it's probably a file attachment right there on the Patreon post uh, that you can uh, get in there and download. Uh, Rodrigo, how about instead of reading through all of that stuff, which is really good stuff. Um, yeah, I'll, can I'll you... paraphrase it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so it starts with some description of the area. This is set in Neon City, which is a city that's full of neon and it's dark and gritty and stuff. Um, then uh, we go to a building that doesn't have any neon on it for about a split second before it explodes. And then somebody rides out in a Jeep. So you ask, the player that has the baby is in the Jeep. So you ask the player to describe their character, um, you know, ask them questions, flesh out details, ask them where they're keeping the baby, how they're holding it or whatever. Um, and then um, you ask... Who else is in this vehicle? So somebody, some other player isn't, yes, carriers, football carry that baby, that's fine. Heisman baby. Um, somebody else is in the car with them. Uh, whoever volunteers describes their character, what they're doing. And then the remaining players get to decide if they're also in the car, if they like busting out riding a motorcycle. Uh, one of the characters can summon a motorcycle, so it makes sense that they would be in a motorcycle. Um, so kind of what they want to do. And then there's a quick note here of like, you know, no, like helicopters or mechs. Cause we're trying to, we don't want to out razzle dazzle the characters themselves on their first appearance. Um, we'll get to that stuff later. Um, so then, uh, they, the characters make it onto the highway and just when they think they are getting away scot-free, um, a group of bikers uh, joins on, and we find out that they are running security for B10 Logical. Uh, the, riders, the riders are the uh, Skullo Babes, who are like this neon skull gang of bikers. And then we get into the first combat scene. Um, this combat uh, slight, slight, uh, this combat slash action scene, um, the point of the combat is not to defeat all of the bikers, but to last five turns. And I'll tell you this right now, I picked five turns, but five turns might be a very long time depending on how it goes. So you can shorten that to four turns. And I think that would be okay. Um, And basically once you survive the five turns, you get to the city limits and, and leave the uh, enemies behind. Um, Again, this is kind of a solution for what happens if the characters lose. Well, in order for the characters to lose, every single character would have to get completely wiped out, which is actually kind of hard to do in Fate. Um, so it's very difficult. The players, are, the characters already have the baby. Uh, the baby doesn't get taken away in any way. I have things about like not stopping the action, 
not causing them to slow down or whatever. Um, uh, so the, the, the bikers are nonstop. So when you beat one on that biker's next initiative, another one takes its spot. So you basically stack the players in initiative order, depending on when they describe themselves. And then you stick in a Skolo babe at every, uh, after every other, after every player. So player one, Skolo babe one, player two, Skolo babe two, and so on and so forth. Yes. Infinite bikers. Um, for five turns. So when you beat one, like if you manage to hit one, they have one stress box and they immediately fold. Um, so on that, so if you beat Skullabave three on Skullabave three's next turn, a new one comes on, but they don't attack. They're you know they're basically summoning sick. So you like clever players or players that get lucky can basically get it so that only one or two enemies are attacking at a time if they're paying attention to the initiative order and attacking correctly. Uh, but, you know, when you throw in complications with the baby and other things that might happen uh, just because of roles, uh, most of the time they're going to be fielding a lot of hits. And these guys hit pretty hard. So I also have a thing here about the um, game master telling, like making sure that uh, aspects are being created to mitigate some of these attacks. Um, ending the battle, when the fifth turn of combat ends, the battle ends, you may have the Skull Babes turn around and willing to leave the city's edge, or you may have whatever the last move of the players made cause a much larger commotion than expected, knocking out the swarm of bikers behind them. Um, so at the end of this, you leave the city, you ask the players who has the coordinates for the rendezvous location. Uh, when they head over there, they realize that something's wrong. There's a fancy car that's on fire. And um, they see this uh, huge flying battle platform fly over them and blow up that car again. Um, and they realize that this battle platform is the Draco Sis uh, Battle Wy Wyvern Mark III. Um, and then it gets into uh, uh, Tex and Daga have experience with the Battle Wyvern Mark One, So you kind of stop the action and ask them to describe the adventure they had in which they um, first encountered the Mark I. Um, there are questions that you can ask as the game master to, to sort of get them through it if, if the players are having trouble or they're not, they're, they're kind of meandering too much. Um, afterwards, uh, both Tex and Daga get a um, an aspect. So, uh, as examples I have here, if they fail the mission, because it doesn't matter if they succeeded or failed that mission, uh, Daga may have the aspect looking for payback against Draco Sis, and Tex may have big old chip on my shoulder. Uh, yeah. Um, then <laughs> uh, they get to come up with an aspect for the Battle Wyvern Mark III, which I think I have here as like Mark IV, but like improperly. So there you go. That's a fix. Um, it's okay if they come up with an aspect that's strictly bad. That's kind of the point. So some uh, aspects here, as an example, faulty cooling system, unnecessary amount of missiles, rushed in research and development. Um, once aspects have been chosen, uh, you read some more, uh, and then you hear a voice come from it. It turns out that the voice is uh, from uh, Dr. Nopolito von Saguaro, who is <laughs> a high-ranking member of Dracosis criminal arm. And as it turns out, 
uh, Dr. Doberman and Shin Radio Ranger 6 have had an adventure that deals with them. So you have those two go through and explain um, what all happened. Afterwards, they get they each get an aspect. So, for example, say assuming that they succeeded, um, a Dr. Doberman may have scientific superiority as an aspect, and Shin Radio Ranger 6 may have warm friendship feelings towards Dr. Doberman. And then you ask the players to come up with, a, those two players to come up with an aspect for uh, Von Saguaro. Uh, some examples include really very full of himself, uh, intolerant of others' differences, and too smart for his own good. So, or, but whatever they want to do. Uh, once aspects have been chosen, the villain continues monologuing, uh, says that uh, it was part of his plan for you to get the baby away from B10 logical, and that the baby has unlimited mutagenic potential, and that Lizard Kid is a, a, like basically a prototype of the baby. And then uh, Lizard Kid gets to come up with an aspect for themselves and for the baby. So uh, sample aspects nice. can be, I must protect my baby sibling or mutagenic might awakened by the truth. Um, and then uh, for the baby, some samples are more important than we knew or latent mutant powers. Um, and then once all, all settled, you get into the second fight of the night. Um this is much more straightforward and basically the biggest aspect of this fight, uh, I guess lowercase aspect of this fight, is <laughs> uh, that anytime you attack the Battle Wyvern Mark III, you have to overcome an obstacle. So basically you have to overcome an obstacle and not attack until your first turn. I have a whole sequence of things here um, of ways to do it, to mitigate it. Basically players can... If they come up with it, or you can tell them to, uh, they can overcome obstacles for each other. So basically, you can assign a striker and a person that's just going to get them up there. And essentially, it's just that the uh, battle wyvern is like basically high up in the air and very difficult to hit. So you're going to have your characters hopefully jumping up there, launching each other, going off of natural stone ramps in their motorcycle, whatever. You know, like they have to figure out a way to get up there, and you really shouldn't fight them on it. Um, there's some scene aspects here. Uh, there were also some scene aspects in the in the previous fight, but I skipped over them. Um, the Battle Wyvern Mark III has uh, the following aspects. Flying Death Machine, nearly indestructible, driven by a bat madman, plus whatever aspects uh, you came up with, uh, both of which apply. And um, on its turn, it makes two attacks. It basically attacks two characters that haven't, uh, that aren't, basically haven't overcome its air superiority. And then it attacks two characters who have. So depending on where the party is at any given point, it may have some like very uh, successful and, and, and fruitful attacks, and it may just not be able to attack at all with one of its attacks. Um, it has four stress boxes, so it's a little bit harder. Again, play that by ear. I think the, um, the fact that you need to basically spend a turn to then spend a turn attacking it might prolong this fight too much. So consider giving it three instead. But, you know, if you check your watch and you, you know, you still have plenty of night left, uh, go ahead and give it the four. Um, once the battle is over, then basically this, this thing blows up. Turns out that the Von Saguaro inside was a robot and kind of leaves you with some ominous words. And that's kind of the end of the session. Nice. Very good, Rodrigo. This is really detailed. I, I honestly feel this is a, a rip and run. 
setup. You've got all the characters there. It's very good. Um, uh, what, what are your thoughts there, Rob? I thoroughly enjoyed this. Uh, yeah. I always enjoy when Rodrigo throws characters out there uh, as he's definitely tailored a couple of these, at least to some of us. Uh, <laughs> thus with Matthew uh, calling dibs on Shin Radio Ranger 6 immediately. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, who, I like who would you, uh, you want to get, Rob? It's Lizard Kid. <laughs> I knew that. I knew that. Like I, I really strongly looked at Doctor Doberman for Doberman for a moment uh, when I heard the when you read the first four words of his description. But then it's like, mm-hmm. nah, Lizard Kid. Lizard Kid is a hundred percent. But I like the uh, adding aspects in the or having the flashbacks happen so we can add aspects in the middle of the fight, uh, utilizing the. Uh, Fate system. Yeah, I think I, I like that as well because, you know, one of the things that we talked about when we've played Fate in the past is that this is a um, group driven storytelling. And so forcing everyone around the table to contribute to the story and contribute to their backstories and have that play a part in the game, I think is is really good and really important to include. Yeah. Now, Brian, what are your thoughts on this? <laughs> My thoughts is how can we get this in front of uh, Fred Hicks and try to get Rodrigo a job at Evil Hat? <laughs> well, I mean, I do have their email of many of the people that are on the team, so maybe. <laughs> I mean, uh, if, if nothing else, this is now, like, I have now put together an actual adventure that I can show people. Yep. Yeah. Yep, yep. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, good job on that, Rodrigo. Let's now go to Matthew and see what Matthew has done this week. So I feel like when it comes to following Rodrigo, first of all, <laughs> I hate you. Um, well, not you on a, specifically. Honestly, Matthew, the, it, you were going to come up last on this regardless. It was up to remember how Rodrigo said in his uh, in his encounter, it's how everybody called where they wanted to go, depended the initiative order. <laughs> and before we did this show, I asked everybody who wants to go first. And while Rob was like, I want to go first. And uh and then yeah, Brian said second. So you just fell anything. into that initiative order. Well, here's the thing. And this is, this is very important. What happened with my game? What, what had happened was I accidentally created my game with the most dangerous monster of all. And that monster is decision paralysis. <laughs> because uh, getting into the, the, the point of the game, the, the, the bit of the game that I was really interested in, the, the meta part for me was the idea of you're being sent to defend this baby. So I came up with this, uh, this excellent, what I thought was an excellent idea. And this idea was that we weren't recruited so much as because one of the reasons I wanted to use paranoia was that some sort of evil organization or artificial uh, intelligence has literally kidnapped the player characters and forced them to find the baby. Uh, primarily, sure. the baby the baby is not a literal baby, but we don't find that out until the end. And because we're playing paranoia, you know, the characters can be very close to kind of a realistic archetype. You don't necessarily have the cool Radio Ranger 6 in what I was working towards. But here's the deal. Uh, You know, you remember how I said that playing Paranoia kind of reminded me of the year 2020, oh, ha, ha? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, that's that's not funny. I literally I literally killed myself. I killed my concept and I just couldn't do it. And I came to a point where once I had that together and I knew kind of where I was going, I was literally racked with anxiety. Yeah, can and I, could not put it together. Am, is it okay if I read the tweet that you sent to me on was it Sunday night, yeah, Monday yeah, night? Please. Uh Matthew says, I'm stuck. I don't think I'm going to be able to have the materials for Wednesday, and it's massively stressing me out. Every time I've tried to create anything, I've just overcome with anxiety at this point. It's not going to happen. Yep. And I and, and I and, and I totally I, I I totally know where you're coming from, Matthew. So you know, this is not the part of the show where we're where we're dumping on Matthew. Oh, you didn't do the assignment. How could you do this? Right. Because I think that the uh, performance anxiety, which is essentially what it is when you become a GM, is mm-hmm. kind of a big deal. Um, it is. And and I think that that may be a topic that we're going to talk about uh, in a future upcoming Game Masters Roundtable or GM Roundtable. Uh, but well, and and I'll I'll point out that I kind of killed myself making this thing in two weeks. Yeah, like I mm-hmm. a, and also in the process running two sessions of Critical Hit. Yeah, I like really, really did too much work. Yes, and really wouldn't recommend it. Uh, definitely not do it, but see, here's the thing. And, and this is why, uh, Rodrigo gets the a plus plus with a few extra credit points on top of that, uh, in this assignment is because you went above and beyond what I actually expected everyone to do, oh, uh, sure. to be honest. Uh, you know, everybody gets an a, um, even, even Matthew gets an a for effort. Uh, but I mean, uh, I was really expecting everyone to come to this session with essentially what Rob and Brian had done. Here's a general outline. Here's the monsters that you're going to encounter. Here's the the general setup. Uh, and, you know, that's, we can have some discussions about that and, and start talking. So uh, by no means was I expecting someone to come up with, with what you did, Rodrigo. Right. Uh, and this, by the way, is what it's like having me in school. Um, <laughs> you will... Man, I wish I had 50 of you then. Well, you don't because... It's it's a completely binary thing. Either I will do exactly enough to squeak by on the assignment or blow it out of the water. And there's no in between. Yeah. So likely because I'm bloating blowing some other assignment out of the water for a different professor. Yeah. Well, so here's the thing. Uh, and, And I don't know, Matthew, what your thought process was in where you were getting hung up Mm -hmm. um, uh, and what was causing you the the greatest anxiety um but i don't know this was over a year and a half ago or something i came across the recommendations for the five room dungeon and i know i've mentioned it previously on the gm roundtable and the five room dungeon is really kind of a good outline of here are five different encounters or five different things that you can set up that you can do very quickly, regardless of the system that you're in. Um, the person who who set this up, who built it, I've put a link there in the um, in the Discord server. Uh, basically, has given you prompts of, well, how are they going to encounter? Why are they here? What's going on in this in this situation? And basically says, here's how you can set it up. And it doesn't necessarily have to be five physical rooms. It could be, as Rodrigo was saying. One room is the street fight. Another room mm. is while they're waiting around for this. A third room is when the uh, the air platform attacks. Uh, that's what he's talking about with rooms. Or it could be a legitimate room in a dungeon or a dungeon crawl. And I don't know, right. Matthew, if you're familiar with this system or not, or if you've ever had a chance to, to look at, at this before. 
No, but looking at it, I think it it goes along with uh, the way that I've created things in the past. And again, uh, as with so many of these things, for me, a lot of game mastering is kind of intuitive, Mm -hmm. which is great if your instincts are on and not so much when things fall apart. So, you know, I feel like intuitively speaking, I have pretty good instincts, but there's also the fact that what I was trying to create actually made me more anxious about Mm -hmm. aspects of life outside Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. of the game itself, you know, because uh, there's a particular aspect of my job that is very, very stressful right now. And the more I tried to focus on this, the more it made it hard to do my day job. Did you ever, and as did you ever think about flipping back to maybe a different system like fourth edition or uh, a D and D? I looked into it, but it's also one of those things where I didn't want to do fourth edition uh, because, frankly, I don't want to play fourth edition uh, because I don't feel like I have enough mastery of the system to be in command of a game. And I don't feel like I could create something effectively within that. And the game systems that I am familiar with as a game creator, as a GM, are 20 years old. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I joke about my my retired DM status, but it's truly what it is. My my retirement has been intentional, but it's also been something where if I'm going to leap into a new game, I thought about doing Fate Accelerated. Uh-huh. And then I thought, yeah, can I get what I want out of Fate Accelerated? And I wasn't sure if I could. And again, you know, that led me to a, oh, well, heck, what if we all do Fate Accelerated? And, <laughs> you know, just kind of spinning out into infinity. So it came to a point where it was like, I'm I'm doing too many things. I'm focusing on too many things. And so many of them are external to the actual story, platform, game, whatever it is that you want to do. And I'm like, I got to step back from this. And I stepped mm-hmm. back from this. And I actually, I spoke to Rodrigo first. And I said, Rodrigo, what do you got? Now, in retrospect, you might think that was an error, but here is what it is. This is this is exactly what it is. I have been gaming with and uh, you know gaming for with collaborating with Rodrigo for like God nine years now. Yeah, like almost ten years now. And I knew that whatever he come up he came up with. Oh my God, Kansas just came out of my face. I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. Whatever it is that Rodrigo created was likely, and I, I love you, Brian, I love you, Rob, and don't take this mm-hmm. as any type of knock on you, it's going to be the gold standard of what we put together here. I expected that Rodrigo would have something awesome, that Sam would have something awesome, and that Brian and Rob and I would have something and people would be like, yeah, that Rodrigo thing sure was great. you know. And so I felt like if I could get a feel for what Rodrigo was at, I might figure out where I can do my, my you know, C minus, can you start my orange kind of feel for it. And Rodrigo was straight with me. He's like, look, I have a 10-page document for the GMs, five-page documents for the players. I have this broken down. I have this broken down. I have this broken down. And I'm like, yeah, I can't do that. And he literally says to me, you can do this or don't, whatever. And I'm like, (laughs) you know, the or don't became my answer because really – There are times when if you're in a gaming group and somebody says, hey, we need to pull something out of our hats in the last moment, sometimes you're not going to have anything. And this is the week that I didn't have anything. Yeah, no. And that's and that's understandable. Uh, And I do want to. And that's why I wanted, uh, you know, Matthew was like, maybe I should just bow to this week's episode or this month's show. And I was like, no, I think you coming on and talking about the anxiety that you were that you were having and why ultimately you didn't deliver is something that. 
that I think everyone needs to be aware of and that everyone needs to um, understand that, you know, that we're all human, right? We all have these things that are going to plague us, that are going to hurt us, that are going to haunt us. Um, it could be performance anxiety. It could be, uh, what is it when you're, you're not living up to the expectations of others, like, uh, trying to compare yourself to Rodrigo all the time. Uh, right. you know, those kinds of things, uh, can kind of play into Meg this. Griffin syndrome is what's that mm. called. Is, is that what it's called? That's what I call it. Okay. Yeah. I, I think, uh, I think all of us, especially if you're someone who is like, oh, into role-playing games, you have to like reckon with that, mm-hmm. with, with that thing of like you you shouldn't kill yourself over role playing games you yeah. if you are the only game master and you are just you just don't have the time then you have to stop you know or yeah. or at least pause for a while you have to take care of yourself otherwise you get burnt out and then you can't run you can't play and you can't do anything so you have to take some time and sometimes you just have to be like i'm i can't do it this week guys i'm going to do something else yeah yeah we're going to play scrabble this week and yeah yeah you know, and I, th- I feel like that's legitimate. I feel like there are times when that's going to happen. And I, I really do regret that it happened here. And I really regret that it happened to me, but it's also, <laughs> you know, it's, it's worth, it. I, I don't mean that lightly either. It's not like a, <laughs> it should have been Rob's situation. <laughs> it's more of a situation where, you know, uh, to there, be fair, Matthew, yeah. I was in the same situation. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I know. Rob, yeah, and you, Rob's got that modern mastery though so he yeah. he had that advantage and that's the thing you know the things that i have been doing this week and i realized this uh this afternoon when i was doing 10 things on my twitter follow me at mighty king cobra um it was something where i can do that because i have already put together my mm-hmm. format. I have a almost a template in my brain of this is how this goes. I know how this goes. I can do it reflexively. The same with, you know, the the process, the physical process mm-hmm. of buying mm-hmm. a comic and reading a review and putting my review together. That's something I can do. The physical process of sitting down, pressing answer, talking to people with my nice voice. You guys have never heard my nice voice, by the way. Um, <laughs> but when I use my nice voice and I take those calls. That process is something that I can do almost by rote. It's something right. that I have down. And this is flexing muscles that I haven't flexed in 20 years. And yeah. I well, and that's say, they're 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 rusty. And that's why I asked if you were familiar with the with the five room dungeon uh, system or recommendation, because it is really a template that you can just kind of plug things into. So yeah. uh, Chris uh, asked, did Stephen pick a system? And uh, uh, Harshman said, I think he just assigned the hook. Well, <laughs> after Matthew contacted me, I was like, eh, I'm sure Sam and Rodrigo and everybody will come together and we'll still have, you know, a lot of stuff uh, to share. And Matthew will come in and talk about these parts. But I was like, well, OK, let me let me just see how well the five room dungeon works as far as a template. So I went ahead and created one. And again, this is more along the lines of what Rob has, just an oh. outline. Um, I created mine yesterday afternoon between uh, sh- shuttling kids between uh, karate practice and podcasts. Uh, so, and again, uh, I'm going to have to apologize uh, to everybody. 
I actually set mine for level three characters because I, I had forgotten. You broke your own rules. No, I had forgotten the email that I had sent, sent out because it's like, okay, well, let me just let me let me think this. But actually, it works for level five because I I had this so that it could scale for three, four, and five. So if you did this with a level three characters, four to five players, this would be a medium to hard session. If you did it with level five, it would be uh, medium to easy in parts, uh, but still difficult. So the setup obviously is that a baby has been taken. Uh, this is taking place, and, and here I'm going to really drive everyone up the wall intentionally. Uh, a wealthy family in the in the storm storm wind uh, uh, kingdom has uh, had their baby stolen by the evil Murlocs. Right? <laughs> and so uh, and so because guilds happen to be a big thing. In fifth edition of Dungeons and Dragons and all these other things, people have to go about and uh, uh, um, team up and go do things. And I wanted to approach this from, and there's a whole section in the fifth edition. I don't remember if this was in fourth edition or not, but there's a big section in the uh, Dungeon Master's guidebook, and I think the Player's Guidebook as well, about guilds and the point of guilds and doing business as guilds. So this, this wealthy family just happens to be a patron of the party's guild. Unfortunately, all the other members of your guild are out on assignment, doing other things. All these higher levels that would have taken on this for this very wealthy patron to the guild are not there. And so the only people that are left is your party of fifth levels. Mm. None of our qualified instructors are here, but we got just a few minutes. Yeah. And so your party decides to take up this adventure, number one, because... These are wealthy patrons. Number two, because if you succeed, maybe it'll raise your status among everyone else in the guild and you'll be able to move up a couple of steps on the ladder. So the party accepts to go do this. Again, I didn't have time to go and create characters. I would prefer to create characters like this. Um, but so you'd prefer to have pre-gen. I would prefer to have pre-gen characters in this. Uh, just so people can have have that option and they can pick what they want. And then I can, as you said earlier, Rodrigo, craft the um, the characters to the situation a little bit. Although yeah. And, I, and it, it, it helps with that motivation, right? So you're like, um, maybe they are like, oh, no, a baby, and that motivates them. And maybe they're mm -hmm. like, aha, this will raise my status here, mm -hmm. and that motivates them, right? So you can have different characters with different motivations who all want to do the same thing. Right. So, uh, if the party wants to spend any amount of time going through the city of Stormwind, uh, looking for anything that would help them breathe underwater, uh, to swim faster, you know, swim speed is a big deal. Holding your breath is kind of a big deal in fifth edition. It should be on the character sheet, what everyone's swim speed is. They get to the edge of the lake, they go in, they swim up to the Murloc stronghold, and sure enough, just outside the gates are two Murloc standing guard. And in this case, I'm using the the Colinth from the Ghosts of the Salt Mar Marsh uh, volume. This is on page 239 of Coast, uh, Ghosts of the Salt Marsh. Um, these are level challenge 1-2, I believe. Um, they are only 100 XP a, a piece, but there's two of them. And so your party needs to go and fight them. After about the second round of combat, you the party just so happened to show up at a shift change. And so three more of these colons or murlocs, as we're skinning them here, show up. And so the battle becomes uh, five against five or four against five or however many people are in the in the party against five. The good thing is when the party defeats the, this group, um, 
they know that they're going to have a couple of hours before anyone needs to come back around to check the gates. So they've got time. It's not like an, an alarm system is going off. The problem is the gates are locked. And the gates are locked with a color key code. And so I thought maybe something that might be a little bit different is to incorporate a real puzzle uh, into or a real puzzle mechanic into this game. And there were a couple of them that I thought. Uh, the first one that I thought was one of those sliding puzzles, you know, where you have like a three by three uh, box and you're sliding these things around to form the pattern. Are you guys familiar with that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Like, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. And so I thought about that. And there are online, there are systems where you can just say, hey, create a three by three box puzzle. And then you could give that to the players to figure it out, figure it out how to solve that puzzle and open up the gate. But then I thought, ah, Mastermind is a much more interesting game of trying to figure out a code. And there is a multiplayer uh, Mastermind game online that you get to set up the color code and then you get to share that link with your uh, players or whoever you want. And I think there are eight I think there are eight uh, tries to unlock the code and it's a five color code. And so everyone's mm-hmm. played the mastermind game, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's an old I, game. I you probably, now, Oh, but, you haven't. So I'm, I'm looking at it now. Yeah. So you've got these, these little beads that you get to set up and then you send that link to uh, your friend or to the party or whoever that's going to do this challenge. Now you only get eight chances or 10 chances to do this. What happens if you fail? Well, depends on how you want to handle it. You could have an alarm go off right away and alert the entire compound and you're suddenly flooded with murlocs. That could be one thing that you could do. Probably not what I would do. Uh, but, uh, the system says cool down five minutes, right? So what are you going to do for those five minutes? You can either try to figure out the puzzle a little bit more based on where you were at, or this is one thing that I know a lot of other people do in their games but I know we have not done that a lot. And anytime that we've done it, it's always hurt us. And that is search the bodies. If you search the bodies, and this is a way that you can help the players completely not fail. If you search the bodies, you will find on one of them, a row of beads with the colors that they need to unlock the code. Now they may not be in the right order, but that'll give the party a chance, a second chance to go through that same game and try to win it with the correct code combination. If you think that they're in that dire need of help. Um, knowing all of you guys, I would imagine you could get this figured out in the first try. Uh, not in the first attempt, but in the first uh, group of 10, 10 tries. Yeah, sure. yeah, yeah. No, we could do it in the first attempt because we're awesome. <laughs> so the good thing is, if your party has spent a lot of time figuring out how they're going to breathe underwater... Uh, yeah, they only had to hold their breath for a little bit because once you get past the gates, uh, it's breathable atmosphere. Murlocs mm-hmm. can breathe in the water or as the cor- uh, colents are in Dungeons and Dragons, they can breathe both on land and underwater. So they have an air breathing system. Uh, so I've done my second room, which was the puzzle. Uh, the third room is a skills challenge because now you, now the party needs to go and find where is the baby. And so in the skills challenge, You could have, obviously, some sneaking capabilities. You could have uh, trigger trap alarms. Uh, You could have, you know, dart shoot out of walls. You could have something fall on somebody. Um, You know, if you you were to decide to have a trap, like a a booby trap, or someone steps on a stone, if if you don't have a rogue that's doing a 
what is it? Uh, trap check. I don't know what it is called in fifth edition. Trap um, check. Trap check. Uh, you know, 2d6 worth of damage. Um, you could have magic wards that someone has to use an arcana check to get through. Uh, I went with on this one uh, a complexity of three, according to fifth edition. So that would be eight successes. And for whatever reason, um, I'm sorry, in fourth edition, um, they had it as four failures, but I would just keep it as three and three and use the Lord Kensington rules of, of uh, skills challenges for this. Mm. So that is your third room. The fourth room, you find the nursery, and guess what? There are six of these murlocs slash colants in there. These look to be nurses. But why do you need six of them for one baby? Turns out, there are four babies in there. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, you need to go in, defeat uh, those colants, the nurse, the nurse murlocs, uh, and then, you have to, then the party will have to decide, are they only going to take the one baby? Are they going to take all four babies? You don't know why the babies were taken. You don't know why the babies were stolen. There was no ransom note. Um, you also can't tell which baby is which. All babies look alike. So do you take a baby and hope that you pick the right baby? Hmm, that's a tough one. Of course, I'm hoping the party decides to take all four. Be nice. They exit out of the nursery and boom, run right into the final challenge, the boss fight. Where you, uh, where the party literally bumps into two Colinth sergeants, which are the next step up from the Colinths, and they will have to bot battle those two. Uh, if this is if they're level three, this is very hard. If they're level five, this is simply medium to hard difficulty. Um, and then uh, after they fight those, they escape. Uh, the question is, do they did they remember to bring enough breathing apparatus or magic spells so all four of the babies can? breathe as they go back up to the surface hmm a little bit of a dilemma does somebody hope that they can hold their breath long enough to reach the surface while they give their breathing apparatus or spell to the babies what's going to happen there that's up to the party so that is something using that five room uh, dungeon technique that uh that i was able to use to plug those in now what are you guys thoughts on on that how do we know that all four of the babies don't belong to the kalens well, you don't. Are they human babies? They are all human babies. Ah, oh. yeah. I was mm. like, I feel like we're rescuing one baby and kidnapping three. Maybe <laughs> that's true. So we're actually three times as bad as the guys we've come to. Maybe. Um, no, it's good as long as um as long as there is a a hard out that the players have to discover at the end because it like. Uh, Basically, the last moments of the game are likely what people are going to remember. And if all you remember is like, well, we ran out of resources and we can't get these babies out. So I guess we'll just oh. leave them here and escape. No, no, no. There's um, there's mm -hmm. definitely there's definitely okay, outs good. if they good, look good. around so that um, uh, all four babies can escape. The interesting okay. thing is when they do get back to Stormwind, they discover that there are three other families that have had their babies also taken. But right. those other families went to other guilds. So not only does the party get good standing with their patron for their guild and raise themselves up in the guild status. They now have also potentially taken patrons away from other guilds because you have returned their babies as well. Oh snap. When you said that there were four, uh, Murloc nurses, you were like, why? I was like, Oh man, it's going to turn out that it's not a human baby. It's like, 
I mean, that's it's something. Like an, I mean, you could certainly like change an it. To ogre that. baby. Yeah, and it's, it's huge. Well, well, you know, we did talk about that. That'd be great. We did talk about that at the beginning, right? About you can you can change that or the Rick and Morty situation where maybe you are kidnapping somebody else's baby. Maybe this family really wanted a murloc baby to to do some horrible ritual on. Maybe they they need them for their horns or something. Uh, so, you know, there's different ways that you could manipulate that. So that was my quick attempt at outlining a five-room dungeon using the fifth edition and just four books that I had on hand, the Dungeon Master's Guide, the Player's Handbook, um, and the Ghost of Salt Marsh, and then plus for the skills challenges, I had to go back and re-reference something. Oh, the, there was something about short rests that I needed to go back and reference in the Dungeon Master's Guide from fourth edition. So, So that was that. Um, what did you guys think? Any, any, any other comments or thoughts and, and from the chat as well? I mean, I, I, I it sounds fun. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. uh, Murlocs are cool. Um, I like that you really set it up to be like this ongoing underwater thing. And then once you're past the first water obstacle, that's mm-hmm. done. That's good <laughs> because underwater, um, underwater rules, if the game even has any, yeah, no, they, they are. They really are a pain. And that's why I was like, oh, man, as soon as they get into this compound, they're going to have to breathe. And, you know, there's a couple of other things you could do with this, depending on how long you could actually figure out how long does it take them to do the fight? Subtract that from a one hour oxygen supply that they have. How long does it take them to figure out the mastermind game to unlock the door? Subscri- subtract that from their total oxygen amount. Uh, you could yeah. do that as well. But yeah, <laughs> uh, rules, well, rules for underwater combat are really difficult because in, unless you're doing a shooting thing like a, um, uh, an arrow or a spear, uh, there are penalties to like swinging a sword underwater yeah. and your movement is slowed underwater. So it was like, I really don't like that, but I, I really like this idea of it being underwater and the party needing to yeah. go underwater, potentially sacrificing themselves um, so, for, from lack of oxygen. Yeah. You can always say is like, okay, well, these guys need to keep like their skin like hydrated. Mm-hmm. So you can incorporate water into every room without it being an underwater encounter, right? Yep, yep. In one room, the water's up to like one room is an underwater thing, another room um water's up to your ankles, so it's mostly just difficult terrain. Um in another room, maybe the puzzle or whatever has to do with water instead of it, you know, being a, a code, you have to like open taps or something like that. Yep. Right. So, so a, a you couple can of, always and the reason why I put in the the co-length Specifically, you can go in and read those on the on their um, their monster descriptions in the Ghosts. Excuse me, of Salt Mars. Um, the the lower level level ones just have a trident where they can do a me- melee me- melee or a ranged uh, weapon attack. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, they also can deal an extra seven. Uh, I'm sorry, an extra two d six worth of damage uh, if they attack a creature within five feet of it. Uh, the uh, the sergeants, the final big boss monsters. They have a multi-attack where they make two attacks per uh, round with their tridents. So basically four attacks happen on their on their turn. They also carry hooked nets, which if they attack you, you have to cut your way out or figure out some other way of getting out to free yourself. You have to do some slashing damage and mm-hmm. hit an AC of, of 12 in order to get out of that net. So, nice. yeah. And those are the guys they call the uh, the aqua goblins, right? Uh, yes, in the in the book, I believe they're they're listed as uh, evil goblins or something like that. Yeah, they're either goblins. Or they they're like goblins or hobgoblins or something. Yeah, let me flip back over to the page. They are listed as goblinoids, yeah. lawful evil. 
So lawful evil. And I'll tell you right now, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles fans will back me on this. Water levels are the worst. <laughs> oh yeah. I love the water yeah. level. All yeah, right, everybody. Get you out. Do. <laughs> All right, everybody, that is the GM Roundtable for this month. We went a little bit longer, but hopefully this gave you some ideas. Uh, we had a hook, and everybody brought a different approach to it. I mean, obviously, it was everybody had to go rescue a baby, right? Uh, or, uh, you know, get the kidnapped baby. Uh, but everyone approached it very differently. Everyone used a very different system. I fi- The reason why I went 5th edition is because Wizards of the Coast have been sending me every single 5th uh, edition book since it started. Sure. And I figured none of you were going to do fifth edition. Uh, <laughs> so I figured I would, I would take a stab at that. Uh, so we did get a, you know, a variety of different systems that you guys can take this hook and say, Oh, so it is very easily adaptable. It doesn't have to work just for high fantasy. It doesn't have to work for, you know, uh, um, uh, you know, Starfinder. Uh, you know, it can really be adaptable to any system that you want. And we've given you guides in order to do that. So, uh, hopefully everyone in the discord server enjoyed this. I hope you did. If you're listening after the live event, well, you missed out on a lot of stuff. There was some stuff in the middle that had to be completely cut out that we just couldn't share with you. Yeah. Oh. It, was, it, was too <laughs> it was too, it was too, uh, too much. I think Rodrigo uh, said F. This is the reason why you want to join us live. When we do this once a month, eight o'clock PM central time on Wednesday nights, make sure that you have connected your Patreon account, uh, your Patreon account uh, somewhere, there should be a link where you can access the Major Spoilers VIP calendar in which you can see when we're doing live shows like the GM Roundtable and the discussions that go along with that. So for everyone on the panel, thank you so much for joining us. And until next time, here's hoping that all your dice rolls are critical hits. Podcast is copyright 2019 by Major Spoilers Entertainment LLC.